Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hello, my name is Charles Reek, Cowan's Healthcare Technology Analyst, and welcome to Cowan's Future Health Podcast. Today's podcast is part of a new monthly series that continues Cowan's efforts to bring together thought leaders, innovators, and investors to discuss how the convergence of healthcare, technology, and consumerism is changing the way we look at health, healthcare, and the healthcare system. And today, I'm honored to have with me Heather Cox, Humana's Chief Digital Health and Analytics Officer. Heather joined Humana in August 2018 with the responsibility of building Humana's digital care delivery operations and leading its enterprise analytics efforts. Heather brings 25 years of experience to the role, most recently serving as Chief Technology and Digital Officer at USAA, where she led the teams responsible for designing and building personalized and digitally enabled end-to-end experiences for USAA members. Prior to USAA, Heather was the CEO of City Fintech at Citigroup helping the company adapt to a future dominated by mobile technology. And she headed uh, card operations, reshaping the customer and digital experience for Capital One. Heather, thanks for being uh, here with us today. Thank you, Charles. I appreciate the invitation. I'm excited to be here. So, you know, I want to start out here. Uh, it's been over two years now at Humana. You know, maybe start out, like, you know, what surprised you the most so far in your time? I appreciate that question. And it's not one I get often. And quite frankly, What I've appreciated most about jumping into healthcare and joining a company like Humana is just how the folks internal to Humana and people across the industry have welcomed me in. Everyone is looking for opportunities to drive change for easier frictionless experiences, trying to find ways to create better health outcomes. And that's what digital health and underneath that driving it is, you know, advanced analytics is all about. And so I just have been so amazed at the the warm welcome and and the show of support that I've had. It's been fantastic. And you come really here to healthcare with a lot of experience uh, creating digital consumer experiences. You know, what have other industries like, you know, the financial sector done right, would you say, in terms of integrating digital interactions into the overall experience? Yeah, when I think about my experience in financial services, you know, Bruce Broussard, our CEO, kept insisting, I I know your skills will translate into healthcare, even though you don't know healthcare. And what was fantastic is that's in fact the case. And there's a lot of reasons why, including one that I think is really important. What we learned in financial services was over the course of time, the importance of more interactions, more channels by which to engage, giving consumers the choice for how they engaged. And while you didn't see uptick right away, so let's talk about you know, dot com, uh, you know, the emergence of it in the late 90s and early 2000s or mobile devices, you you saw steady adoption, but then you actually got to points where you saw hockey sticks. And um, a lot of that had to do with all of the choice. Now, what I love about what we saw in financial services, so let's kind of go back in time a little bit. You used to have the branch. It was the only way that you could engage and, and get your money deposited or withdrawn, and you had to go in and physically talk to a teller. Then you could drive up to a window, which is a little more convenient. And then suddenly they put that concept of the teller on the street side in the form of an ATM. Well, then you have the emergence of the web, and then you have mobile you know, IVRs, automated uh, assistance in the IVRs, side-by-side chat, and then you had mobile. And all of these were distinct channels. And if you weren't careful and, and you didn't manage the experience across those channels, people could get lost. But once you learned how to string that journey across those different channels, suddenly you had very sticky consumers. 
And so I think the opportunity we have in healthcare, what we've seen during COVID in particular, is people, both the consume and consumer and the providers are, and care teams that take care of those, those patients are willing to change their behavior and leverage digital technologies in new and different ways. And how exciting would it be to watch us go from that one annual visit to consistent follow-ups by telehealth and or remote monitoring data that you're sending back to your physician so that you don't even have to talk or see them, but you can constantly get a view of what your health is, is how, what you're driving and, and the medications you need to be taking. It's super exciting. Yeah. I get very passionate about this, Charles, so cut me off <laughs> if you need to. I get really yeah, excited. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. It's a very exciting. It's a very exciting times here, and I guess maybe one slight pushback, though. I think historically, a lot of people have said, "Well, healthcare is is difficult," or you know, or people look at it and say, "Healthcare has lagged behind other technology, other sectors in in um, adopting technology." In your experience of looking at it now, the last couple of years, you know, are there things in healthcare that make it more challenging, or you know, what, what is there anything that you know, is there a reason why healthcare maybe has lagged behind so far? Not all industries have hit the the digital revolution or evolution, how whatever you want to say at the same time, right? You had financial services hit at a different time than kind of content and, and media consumption versus others. And I don't think that's a problem. It's not a matter of it lagging behind. I think what's distinct in healthcare is I I would push that there's plenty of technology and you find it everywhere. It's just built for single verticals and it creates more silos and there's not the right interoperability of data floating across those technologies. And so while we have some challenges um, and that can, you know, create competitive moats in, in essence, I think um, once we start to create that notion of interoperability, again, let's use the financial services example. ATMs are interoperable anywhere across the world. You've got credit card capabilities anywhere across the world running on similar rails. You have electronic money movement. That didn't all exist 15 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe not even five years ago, but it does now. And suddenly you can travel the world and have your information on your mobile phone and go to any ATM in the world and get your money. That's a fundamentally different place than showing up and buying American Express checks back in the day to go travel, right? So that data interoperability is our opportunity, no different than any other, any other industry, but one that we're going to have to face and build the infrastructure for. Yeah, and as we think about that, obviously Humana you know, looks to be part of that, the forefront here. Um, you know, you know, you are part of the executive management team. I think that's exciting, uh, given that it's not as common. I think in healthcare, for sort of the chief technology officer to be viewed so importantly. Um, you know, what what led you to take uh, led you to take this role, and uh, you know, what was it that Humana was looking for here? I would tell you that uh, Bruce Broussard himself was a big, uh, a big part of the equation. Sitting down with him and hearing his path, kind of how he had gotten to where he'd gotten and the transformation he had been driving toward and what he was looking for in the future, not just for Humana, but for the industry at large, um, super compelling. And I was talking to a CEO who was talking in terms of advanced analytics, um, machine learning algorithms, APIs, microservices, and interoperability. He just has really thrown himself into the middle to learn about what it's going to take, what they've done in other industries to really transform the overall experience and drive better outcomes and how that could translate to healthcare. And he's, he's driving a really compelling 
path forward. I then met my colleagues and many people around the company. And listen, I was a big risk to hire me from outside of healthcare on top of it. So we had lots of interviews, got to spend lots of time with folks. And what I found was just incredibly brilliant people for what they do and a passion for driving innovation in the marketplace and not not unable to just unsure exactly how to start traversing through this digital revolution. And so, you know, I had some of that experience and they were willing to partner with me. So I depend on their subject matter expertise. They work with me to make sure that what we're talking about can actually apply and, and really drive the transformation or the insights that they need. And so it's a great partnership. It's the people, Charles, that made me decide to do this and most of it, and the facts. I don't want to forget, we serve a very vulnerable population, actually two. Obviously, our, our Medicare Advantage business supporting seniors in this country, but also we've got Medicaid. We've also, I, I can't forget the, the large uh, number of military lives we serve as well. So these are people who, who need our support and help and deserve the best of the best that we can bring. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're here in the role, you, you've been here a couple of years, maybe help, help you know, the audience here, maybe you can outline for us. You know, what are the key parts of Humana's uh, technology strategy? Like, how, how do you guys envision leveraging technology as part of a part of what you do? Sure. This is a it's a it's a big body of work, and I'm gonna try to summarize, and then you can poke where you, wherever you'd like to go a little bit deeper. And so, everything that we're focused on is built on an infrastructure and a requirement that we're going to move to the the public cloud. And so, ensuring that we've built the right infrastructure, we have the right security and privacy and data protection, has been a really core part of what we've spent the last year and a half, almost two years now, once we got the, the strategy lined up, um, driving toward. And we are now starting, so things like loading data into that, that cloud environment and creating an enterprise data lake, a single data lake, not a bunch of data ponds, but a single data lake where we can take the high value data assets and really focus on creating new experiences for our members, driving the advanced analytics that will create the insights that will allow us to build the next set of experiences. And so you look at a, then across the, what we've also been building in parallel, a population health platform so that our um, providers, uh, both in our own clinics and in the, all of the, the provider systems that are, are part of our value-based care programs can have the right core information about their Humana patients. And in the, in the case of our own clinics, it's payer agnostic. And so having all of their health data and social determinants of health now data in a single place where they can actually see and leverage it and utilize it in, in their care and closing gaps in care, really powerful tool. Population health is one. The second is we've been really focused on a machine learning platform and ensuring that we really find a place where we centralize the features that can be utilized to build advanced algorithms, um, not only so that you have reusable features that become a part of how we build and, and, and create speed to market, and um, but we can also be consistent in how we're training those models, but then we can also be consistent in how we monitor slash govern that slash give oversight to those models and ensuring things like bias don't creep, creep into our model. And so that centralized infrastructure so that we, we have a place where data scientists can come to really drive innovation and, and move with speed, but also do it in a way that allows us to have explainable AI. Number three platform is really about how do we democratize data across the organization? And so we can get that data into the data lake, but then how do we apply 
advanced analytics tools that any day, everyday analysts can use. So beyond the data science population, how do we democratize access to data, create ability to create new insights, drive things like trend vendors, but also just to run your business on a day-to-day -day basis and drive more automation. So that analytics platform as a service is number three. Number four, we start to move into what we're calling the digital health platform, and we can get into that. That's um, We've pulled that forward given all that we've seen through COVID and really wanting to double down in our investments there. We've got beautiful digital properties. So it's, it's less about the interactions and more how we start to connect discrete digital experiences in the ecosystem, whether our own generated or third party, and really make it more simple for our members to utilize digital services and our providers to serve them. And then finally, we have the whole core element of interoperability. So you've got the cloud, you've got the four platforms, and you've got data interoperability. And you know, how do we go beyond compliance uh, with, with regulation to, to really find opportunities to create new products and services leveraging this data? So that's the bulk of the, of the strategy. Digital <laughs> and that's health, a, lot, that <laughs> a lot you're doing at once here. You know, jumping back a little bit, you know, the machine learning platform, is this something where you are just making the data available for others to develop machine learning algorithms for the business? Or is this where you are trying to develop in-house those uh, algorithms uh, and apply it to, to your business? Great question. Um, and the answer is both and, and, and then some more, right? And so the idea here is to have a place where you have reusable components, so call them features, that and let me give you an example of a feature, right? Um, how many times has a member seen their primary care physician in the last 12 months or last six months? That's two different features, right? But ones that people ask a lot. And so not having to go recreate the wheel and find the source of data and then build the, the features to actually create that algorithm to, to examine it. We've got it now sitting there as a standard feature, pulls in the data and gives you the updated information literally at the click of a button. We have internal features like that that we've created. We also have gone across literally the world and looked for open source technologies that we'd want to bring in that would actually add value in how you would build machine learning models. And so it's um, a really powerful place for Again, it's more from the data, geared to the data science community today, but takes models from, you know, a design, a build, train, deploy from six to eight months down to, at times, two to three weeks. But on the high end, it's been four to five, right? So that's a significant lift in time uh, to get through training and ready for deploy. But we also then, once you, you've created new features, you've combined features, added features, those go into the feature store. So it becomes a real platform, right? You as a consumer, as a data scientist, going in and getting the information that's been produced for you there or the, the features produced for you there. But then when you create new features, you also publish it back. And so it's a really exciting uh, bit of innovation for a healthcare company like ours. And, you know, maybe touching back to the digital health platform, you mentioned that this is sort of pulled forward uh, because of COVID. You know, maybe talk about sort of the, the services that you want to provide for your members as well as providers. And particularly maybe those features that you wished were available at the start of COVID that weren't. Yeah, maybe start there and, and, and sort of the, yeah. how that could have been useful, I guess. Well, I think um, we had uh, several things in flight, but I'll use one example. So artificial intelligence driven triage, right? And, and that's not 
necessarily, it's relatively new, but it's not brand new. And there are companies out there that are leveraging these kind of capabilities. But we just, we hadn't yet, we had been testing, but we hadn't really moved things into production. And so having that, and by the way, we were able to get our first bot into production within about 14 days of kind of the real big shutdown in mid-March. So by late March, we had a basic bot up and running and, and helping to steer members who were looking for information. You remember back in those early days, we just didn't know what we didn't know, right? And there was just so, so much fear. And so just getting information to people was really important and pushing them to the right places was really important. Right. And so I think AI-driven triage is one that I think has a huge bright future in healthcare and not to replace humans, but to really help us get intelligent on where to direct you down to site of care. And so as we progressed through COVID, we were able to leverage it to say, hey, maybe you're totally fine. You're, you're kind of, nothing indicates that you have any illness. Or let's push you over to a telehealth visit to make sure and confirm. Or let's find you a testing site because you need to go get tested. Or let's send you a test to your home. So that that one kind of path of in, in, uh, onboarding members and allowing them to go to the right side of care for them in their particular instance, and just the power of that is really incredible. And so I'm excited about what, what that holds. Now, if we let that data just sit within that bot or within that trail, and we don't actually tap into that data and extract it to understand and learn from what our members, what their experience was, what in data they input, and populate it back to a longitudinal human record, as we call it internally, then I think we, we create a whole new silo in healthcare. It becomes, oh, that's the AI silo over there or the triage silo. And then if none of that data dumps back to their PCP or comes back into their health record, how are we ever going to create value for a next set of interactions for that member? So the digital health platform concept is how do we start taking amazing capabilities like AI triage or um, digital in-home care through applications, care management applications, or remote monitoring data that you are using to measure your blood pressure or capture your weight as, as two examples, um, or the steps that you've been taking, right? Trying to get make sure that you're getting your exercise in. If we can get that data back in, and again, leverage it in your individual record so that we can create the next best set of actions for you, insights for you and your primary care physician, that will be the beauty of digital, but if we don't connect those things, then all we do is take the complex physical world of healthcare and replicate it in the digital space. So we're trying to prevent that, that silo-driven approach from happening here. Yeah, and you just mentioned here the, the longitudinal health record, and obviously uh, Bruce has talked about it in the past. Maybe, maybe delve into that a little bit more here and then kind of talk about uh, where, where you are in terms of uh, building this out and uh, getting it out there. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our first deployment, I will call it MVP, was via our population health platforms that we launched in Q, two different versions. One launched in Q4 2019, one in launched in uh, Q1 2020. So those are kind of the first round of, okay, if we can create that single longitudinal record and feed these population health platforms. And as we're getting more information from their visits back in, how do we update it and create new insights to send back to the primary care physician on things like gaps in care as an example? Um, really powerful, but we didn't, we're not stopping there. And, and part of the reason why is because that MVP was also built 
in more of a hybrid environment. So not a public cloud with all the same kind of compute power and innovation that we can apply to it. So our next version, version two, launched uh, in Q3 of 2020, and we're powering some, some specific intervention models leveraging it. And we will combine those two, by the way, here shortly. But the next version allows us to drive powerful intervention models. And then as we continue to build on it, we can then feed other parts of the, uh, the enterprise, right? So if we're using it for our care management capabilities today, which we are, we've just launched, when can we use it for stars? When can we use it to power the next set of visits in XYZ? So we're super excited. But what's incredible about this is not just the health record, right? Because that's that's almost too simple. We have, to, we have to really go for something further. What's going to be really powerful is when we can really understand um, the environment. And so I've used this example in the past, but it's a simple one that we can all understand. Let's say um, you live uh, in a certain zip code in Illinois, and it's October, and we know that's when the flu season is going to spike in your area. How can we make sure that we're pushing you, giving you options on, hey, you can visit the CVS a mile down the road uh, and they have open appointments on these days, pick one and we'll have your record there ready to go with your shot ready to go and then we'll feed it back into your record and send it to your primary care physician. That sounds so simple and it's really hard, right? Because you're connecting, you're taking external weather data, you're taking flu prediction data, you're using zip code level kind of predictions, you're combining sites of care with actual interventions themselves, you're feeding back to records, um, but that's the potential for what we can do with, with the various types of data that we aggregate and collect to make sure that we serve you as the individual and your family. And I can see from your end uh, with the data that you collect, how, how you can gain those insights. How much cooperation though do you need from you know, the likes of CVS or the likes of um, whoever the EMR vendor for the, uh, that the, physician, the provider is using uh, to be able to uh, a main gating uh, I think factor. it I, let's not I won't call it a gating factor I'll tell you that like there there are mountains we still need to climb right and so I think the but the opportunity I think what we're all going to find is interoperability itself and exchange of data is going to actually improve how we all can deliver care and improve healthcare delivery in the U.S. so like I think we're starting to start to see the the kind of momentum move in the direction of how do we start hooking up together? How do we start making sure that we're getting the right data to the right place? The differentiation is going to come in the experience itself, right? And the analytics that you can create from your in information and your data. We shouldn't use the passing of data as the opportunity to create value. We should see that as the opportunity to create new types of value. And so, you know, you think about the data exchange that happens with Amazon and all kinds of retailers. Like, that's important value that gets created for the end consumer and for all parties in the ecosystem, or you won't participate in the ecosystem. So I'm hopeful we'll get there. And by the way, we're not looking to replace things like EHRs. That has a distinct place as a really important part of, of how we deliver services in this country and um, really help provider systems do great work and automation. We're looking to work alongside of and make sure we're helping to fill in the holes. And I think that's kind of all how we all have to approach this. How do we help fill in the gaps along the way? And then it's up to us as companies to differentiate on our own core experiences. And you mentioned before, right, that, um, you know, in the last 15 years or so, we, we've seen in financial services uh, that interoperability becomes so ubiquitous, right? Uh, I, I, 
you know, you can travel the world and just use your local debit card pretty much anywhere. Obviously, in March, uh, final rules for interoperability were released. I guess there's some delay. I mean, there's been it's been pushed out. I guess some of the requirements because of COVID, yeah. but uh, in yeah. theory, by mid-year, you know, all, all the constituents should be uh, complying with it. The rules, as you see it, as if you look through it, is this enough? Is this or is this just still just a start? Like, like are, as they're written, is this enough to kind of get you to that world where maybe where financial services is? In the world? How far along do you think this yeah. gets us? This gets us started, Charles. And, and you just said something very important, kind of like kind of where financial services are. Here's one distinct difference in how financial services pursued this versus what I'm seeing in healthcare. Financial services, smart folks kind of leaned in, um, a couple of CEOs in particular, and said, we got to create this interoperability. They don't call it that, but this data exchange in these marketplaces, or it's going to be done to us. So we might as well go in. And, and the example at the time was the screen scraping that was happening with certain companies out in Silicon Valley, where they're coming in and screen scraping. That is the most dangerous way to manage your data you can possibly think of. So like, let's create secure ways by which you can consent to easily transfer your data. and we don't have to control all tools, but let's make sure at least your data is safe and secure, number one, and create the interoperability so that the banks can actually create the help be a part of creating this marketplace versus having to participate on the back end because it's being done to them. What we're seeing, and, and, and no regulations required it, in the US at least. What we're seeing in healthcare is that it's the regulatory bodies having to come in and say, it's time to drive innovation. And I think that's where, you know, we can't, miss on this going forward. We as an industry need to lean in and talk about fire APIs all day long and the, the secure and safe transit and, and, and movement of data and allowing people to consent and own their own data and port it with them and not talk about, not create fearfulness on people don't know what to do with their data and they'll be dangerous with their data. We've got to trust that we can create the right protections and allow the portability and create a whole new set of marketplaces in healthcare for ourselves. And I think um, having regulators push us to do this is probably not the best position for us to be in. So how do we get in the, in the driver's seat, I think is our opportunity. And are you seeing now that the regulators have made that initial push, maybe that uh, response from industry to kind of get together and say, hey, let's, uh, let's, let's get going as well? Or it's getting there. And I think there are some really key voices that uh, I really appreciate out there, really pound in the pavement. And, and what we're seeing is a combination of, one, the regulations, two, acceleration of COVID, right? We, we had 10 years of digital adoption happen in three months. You know, you just, that hockey stick, when you look at the graph, and it didn't, it didn't miss healthcare this time. So it's here. And you have new entrants and participants who have a lot of ingenuity on the technology end of it, not necessarily healthcare expertise all the time, but ingenuity around data and, and digital capabilities combined with the regulation saying you got to do this. We're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen to us unless we start leaning in. And I'm really proud of a company like ours, Humana, where we're on the front forefront talking about what can we do to push this? What can we do to drive this? How do we find more partners? We've got an incredible partnership with Epic as an example. We've got the, the core data liberation we're doing internally so that we can comply with these CMS requirements. But as I said earlier, we're not just stopping there because we're going to use that data now that it's liberated. We can go feed new experiences, right? And give you your data and multiple portability elements and also really just help you have new insights that we just haven't been able to do in the past because 
we hadn't prioritized it and it wasn't a requirement. Well, now, like we're seeing, hey, this is a whole new product set of products and services that are going to get create value in the marketplace. It's super exciting, actually. Yeah. I think this it's a tidal wave, Charles. It's coming. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. You know, you, you talked about the ability now, right, with the tools that you have, with the longitudinal health record to be able to proactively uh, reach out to your members, uh, help them get directed to uh, appropriate care. At the same time, though, you know, Humana's membership is largely seniors, right? And it's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a more challenging population that way. Maybe, maybe talk about some of the issues that serving a senior population, particularly from a te- technology standpoint, might be. Yeah, that's a great, great question and great push. And I just want to, before I get specifically there, I do want to offer just some of the other elements that we saw during COVID, right, was just the bringing our our concept of human care to life, meaning when we started to do outreach proactively to members at the start of COVID, just to check in on them to make sure, right, because people stopped going to their their physicians, making sure that they're doing okay in particular, and we could stratify by kind of red zones of COVID, as well as chronic conditions, as well as too much time has passed since they've seen their physician. But we managed um, over the course of that to learn a lot. And a few things that we learned, people were really frightened, absolutely. And such, so that, such that they were afraid to even go to the grocery store to go get food for themselves. Or they were afraid to go if they even had a part-time job to go work so they didn't have money to go even buy food for themselves. And so things like sending our members masks, right, using data and analytics and making sure that we're targeting the right interventions and conversations. We were able to send masks. We were able to set up. Um, appointments with um, behavioral health specialists because what we were also finding was that isolation and loneliness became a real problem um, through the crisis. In addition, we were able to, with the automation, the, the data assets we had been creating and the automation we were able to put on top of it, create programs where we managed to send out in a three-month period over a million meals to our members. And so these are things that I think are really important and why data and analytics and those digital touches really did help. Now, to your point, what has also happened is we have absolutely seen the digital divide um, that has, is affecting our seniors in this country. And we've got um, you know, a vast majority of our seniors do not, 65 and over, do not have access to broadband, basic Wi-Fi capabilities, even if they have a device. The, the, the challenge is, Do you have access to the data plans themselves? And two, do you have a device? And that's what we're starting to see is we've got to start to close that digital divide. It's it's obvious that it's a challenge in education and taking care of making sure kids can get schooling, but it's an even more exacerbated problem in seniors. And we've got a great report coming out um, in partnership with an organization called OATS in uh, early January of 2021. Just some research that, that has been conducted over the back part of this year to really help put numbers around what we're seeing here and, and how dangerous this is because um, you could say people can't afford it. Well, we've got to find a way to help people get access to and afford um, things like digital devices because. It is their access to care. When, when they have no transportation, when you're in a situation like COVID, we are missing out on taking care of simple health challenges in, in America. And so this is one that's going to become really top of mind. And I'm super proud of a contribution, I should say, an investment we made in uh, an organization I mentioned, OATS, Older American Technology Services, in partnership with them. 
um, we've asked them to help build a consortium of cross industry players to come and really focus on how do we close this digital divide for seniors in this country and then within three years put one million more seniors online and so we're going to be really focused here because it's the right thing to do but it's also an important access to care and it's also um, an important touch point for basic things like just solving for social isolation and so we see a huge opportunity and need to move now on the flip side of that, Charles, here's some interesting, I just got these, we were watching these stats through the annual enrollment period um, that just ended last week. This year, we had 50, our, our visits to Humana.com to get information on the plans was up um, over 30%, super exciting. At the same time, access by mobile device was at 52% versus just 30 3% a year ago. So you're starting to see, right, as people are starting to age in, that that gap is going to close over time, but to we can't close it fast enough waiting for age in, right, for people who are a little more savvy at age 60 and 65 right now. And so we've got a lot of work to do in the next five to seven years to make sure that everybody has access to, uh, to devices and care and, and other human beings as appropriate. Yeah, it sounds very important here. And uh, when you now think about it, and as as the seniors who are able to take advantage of uh, their mobile devices and, and digital tools and can access care that way, what are other considerations that you, you need to take into account when you're creating a, a digital experience for a, a senior population that might not be necessary with a younger commercial population? A couple of things. And I don't think the digital divide is so much the what people can do or what they you know want to do it's more once you give them access and teach them right i mean my mom just turned 70 and boy she she can move around some of those <laughs> she can move she can move through social media faster than i can right like it's pretty impressive and uh she's a pretty pretty darn good shopper too but i think it's more about the how do we if you don't have a device, how do we help you get a device? And what CMS opened up the room for during COVID was, yes, this is an access to care consideration. Go ahead and send devices. And so we've been testing and learning, trying to find ways. If we can get you a device, can you use it? If you can't use it, why can't you use it? What's, what's difficult about it? How do we click one-click access to get you in in a secure way for those visits? How do we create push from providers to you so that we can actually create a telehealth visit that comes to you versus you even having to go in. And so trying to make it simple and elegant is super important. In addition, Charles, back to the whole, um, we could come and we can send you an iPad with 15 apps on it. If you have 15 different logins, you're not, none of us are gonna figure that out and none of us are gonna want that kind of experience, right? So again, having that one-click access that brings you in and takes you to the correct digital experience that you need that day is what's going to be most important. Why that notion of a digital health platform that just doesn't quite exist yet, it needs to be, um, the infrastructure needs to be there to allow for, for that easy flow of data and that push of experiences, that next best action. So ease, simplicity, same thing you want, same thing I want, we need to have for our seniors. Yeah, you know, a lot of what we were talking about here earlier, you know, about the services that you're looking for, the long this longitudinal care, you know, it, it kind of reminds me in healthcare where we often talk about, you know, continuity of care or filling in gaps in care. But a lot of what you're talking about, you know, seems more more like a like a world of more of connected care, 
right? And I feel like there's a little bit of distinction because it's more multi multifaceted at the sort of at the same time. Maybe you can kind of delve into that a little bit. Yeah, you're. That's an interesting insight, and I think we aren't. Again, we are not with the digital tools in any way, shape, or form looking to replace the human interactions, right? Because the human part of this this healthcare chain is so critical. Hands on is always going to be an important part of this of this journey. But if we could actually create new data points that allow you to have information that you would never see in that 27 minute visit once or twice a year as a physician, what value can that create? So, but there's a lot of trust that ought to be built into the system too, right? People have got to be willing to give you their information for an exchange of value of some sort, whether that's, you know, you, you can feel, see and feel better health outcomes or, you know, or you get reduced costs when you have, you know, certain types of visits. So we've got a lot to do to work through the mechanics, Charles, but the, this notion of always on and because it creates better health outcomes, not just because to, if that can't be technology for technology's sake, it's got to create value again for providers, for care teams, for end consumers. And um, a lot of this is going to be test and learn, right? We, we don't, we're not going to solve anything with one big mega app. That's just not the path to the future. And it's more about how do we find the right services for the right individuals. And what's beautiful about digital is we can tailor it, right? We, and we don't have to build it all. A company like Humana, we can certainly have our own proprietary set of services, but there are so many beautiful and elegant services being created in the health tech space that we can bring and integrate in if we have the right platform approach so that we can, again, the, the providers can choose the best of breed technologies they want to use to serve their Humana panel. The Humana member can choose to be physical or digital, digital back to physical and actually have an elegant set of movements between these, these different worlds, but it doesn't feel like it's disparate or disconnected. So I like your notion of connected care versus continuity of care because the connected care could actually create the data points to provide continuity of care, right? So it's maybe just, it's, it's a one, one part of your concentric circle on this. And you kind of mentioned it there. So, you know, putting this all together, uh, you know, what do you, what do you think the future will look like, you know, three years, five years out? As all these kind of mature and kind of reach what you're kind of envisioning, how do you, how do you see this all kind of playing out perhaps? So I'll say an important component is going to be AI, 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 and a lot of people would say it's artificial intelligence. So I'm going to say it's more augmented intelligence, right? So that you have the, the beauty of the technology and the power of the algorithms and the, the vast access to troves, large troves of data and the compute power to actually process through it. Great. But you're going to have the humans that are going to need to actually pay attention because the interventions are a long way from becoming totally automated, right, in, in healthcare. So I don't think we're getting to sci-fi mode here anytime soon, but we're going to start to really be able to tap into new levels of compute capability that are going to allow us to consume data far faster and far more effectively. And so let me give you a statistic. You've probably heard it, but it's worth uh, jumping on. Nearly 80% of healthcare data is unstructured. And what I think healthcare is focused on for a long time because it's what you can get access to easily is the structured data. That means the vast majority of information that exists that could help you with your health isn't consumed yet or at scale or consistently. 
So moving to a place in space where you, again, have this compute power and access to data, and you can drill into it using advanced analytics tools like natural language processing as an example, it's going to fundamentally change what we do to serve up insights and what you can do with those insights. So social determinants is just one great example. Um, there are no IC, as I've learned, ICD codes for things like social determinants. So they're sitting in notes. Well, if we can consume those notes and find what's in there, that might be you're not coming to your appointment because your sister who always used to bring you has passed away. You have no access to transportation. And so the last time we saw you, we learned that and now we're not going to see you again. Because we, but if we actually know that, we can actually push services to you to make sure you actually can get your in-person services or push services to you like an in-home visit and do an assisted telehealth visit back to your PCP. That's the future of this. The, again, what I talked about before, physical to digital, digital back to physical. It's got to be elegant. It can't be all or nothing. You know, I think we're kind of coming up on the time here and, and, uh, and really enjoy this conversation. Uh, maybe at the end though, uh, you know, obviously as we increasingly leverage technology into healthcare. Anything we should be careful about? You know, is there anything that worries you about uh, as we you know, push more technology into healthcare? <laughs> I, I, yes, I think I'm back to my AI, AI, AI conversation, right? So the beauty and power of it, there's a flip side that we've got to be really conscientious about and focused on, which is ensuring that um, we have the right diverse perspectives when we are building these models, that we monitor and, and create oversight mechanisms for these models, and that we have explainable AI that comes out the other side, meaning when it says this is the answer for that individual, we can actually trace back why we got to that answer. So automation is going to be a beautiful part of accessing the 80% of unstructured data in healthcare. But the flip side, we got to make sure bias doesn't creep in. And so ensuring that we're really focused on this is a top priority for us. We recently took a pledge uh, with an organization called Equal AI uh, to make sure that we can't say we're going to prevent bias from creeping in, but we're going to be uh, stay on the cutting edge and do whatever we can with the leading companies in the world to ensure ethics of AI is a high priority for the organization. And, um, and if bias does creep in, that we are, we are focused on getting it stamped out and, and rebuild and, and redone and, and market. And so, um, and we're asking, by the way, now partners as they join us to actually take the same pledge so that we actually create an ecosystem that is really focused on this in healthcare. Yeah, that, that, I mean, well, that sounds great. And uh, obviously a lot is, a lot's going on here. And, you know, seems it seems like a lot of great things are happening here at Humana, and, and looking forward to to seeing how that all continues. And um, you know, I think we'll we'll stop here. And Heather, thanks so much for 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 joining us today. It was really great catching up with you here, and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, yeah, and, and really looking forward to seeing how everything works out. Well, thank you, and I I want to thank all my colleagues at Humana. They're doing incredible work to help us move these elements in, into production and moving them to scale and, and helping us really drive this transformation. But Charles, I also want to really thank you. You have been one of those friendly folks in healthcare that has uh, welcomed me in and you always ask hard questions, but it's in, in the search of, you know, seeking to understand and wanting to know what we can do to continue to push the boundaries of digital revolution here. So I really appreciate that. Oh, I appreciate that as well. And then certainly we'll, we'll get you back on again uh, soon to, to find out how things are progressing. And I uh, look forward to having you join us on, on future podcasts. 
Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.